0: our study of the book of Acts and we're actually going to start kind of a, a shorter series within chapters five, six, seven, and 8 of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 5 today. We're calling this series Under Pressure. I think about 6 o'clock on Tuesday night, our, our home must have been quite a sight. Ron and I had both had pretty kind of full, hectic days and uh, we, were, we were getting back home both at the same time and in the midst of this we were having some people over for dinner we were kind of talking about kind of a family concern that we were trying to kind of get, figure out, kind of get sorted out. In the midst of this, our dog had had surgery. It had kind of had this little procedure, and so we had just gone and picked him up. We were bringing him bringing him back home, and we get home, and we're trying to feed the dog because he's hungry. He's still a little loopy, you know, from the anesthesia. We're coming and going in the midst of all this. And, He's, un- he's uncomfortable, all these things happen. When I go to the sink and I start running water and our sink's clogged up all of a sudden. And so there was this moment where I'm coming from the garage with a plunger in my hand and I cross Rhonda at the kitchen table trying to take the dog outside and he's wearing the cone of shame. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we must have been quite a sight. It was like all of a sudden this calm just blew up into all this chaos and I know we're the only family in Northwest Ohio that ever happens to, Right. You have these moments where all of a sudden everything kind of just the crazy breaks loose and you're under pressure in that moment. You know what it's like if you have a demanding job, if you have preschool children, if you have a family where you feel like you're at taxi service, if you have friends and family in need of assistance, if you're in a season of unexpected trauma, let's be honest, if you're breathing, you know crazy, right? You know what it's like to have moments where you're under pressure Pressure. Sometimes they're not moments, sometimes they're seasons. Or for a while, you're, you're in this pressure-filled place. Parenthood, caring for an agent parent, concern for a wayward family member, financial challenges, an uncertain future, a big difficult decision, relational conflict loss of a loved one, preparation for a big event, a scary diagnosis, a stressful work situation, maybe no job at all. I think all of us know what it's like at some point to be in one of those seasons of pressure. Let's not sugarcoat it. They're real. They're these moments or seasons that come to us. And watch this, how we handle the pressure makes all the difference. In fact, we ask the question sometimes, how how do you handle pressure? We say, are you good under pressure? We say that about quarterbacks and politicians and somebody taking a test. Are they good under pressure or do they crumble under pressure? When the pressure comes, do you fall apart and you're not able to handle it? In this series, what we're gonna find in chapters five, six, seven, eight, we're gonna get a front row seat to what it was like when that first church, the church in Jerusalem, finds themselves under pressure. They're going to be under pressure from the outside. We've already begun to read about the persecution they're going to face, and they're going to face pressure from the inside. There's going to be internal conflicts that will put their future at jeopardy, and so in the midst of this, we're going to see opportunities of how to handle the pressure that comes in our lives as we watch the church respond to that under the pressure that they're in. And when we get to Acts chapter 5, and, and we've been working our way through here, we've been watching the church, and we've seen how the church is born, how it starts in Jerusalem, how they have times of great miracles, how they have times of great persecution. In Acts chapter 5, they're still dealing with the first real experience that they've had with the death of Ananias and Sapphira, where there's been something negative that comes to the church. And then what happens, though, through all of this over and over and over again, we read about how the church is growing. In fact when when you read verses 12 through 16 of Acts chapter 5 there's almost like this crazy revival that happens there's all kinds of healings and miracles. And in the midst of this, the church continues to multiply and to grow and to grow and to grow. And this is what we watch. And and this is what we see is happening. And so this is where we're going to pick up and we're going to, we're going to make our way through the rest of Acts chapter five today. We're going to kind of cruise through this story. And as we do, we're going to watch how the church responds under pressure. And we're also going to watch how their opposition The religious establishment, you'll hear them called the Sadducees, or the whole group's called the Sanhedrin, how at times how they responded to the pressure that they find themselves in. We're going to learn what to do. We're going to learn what not to do. So today what I want to give you as we go through this are six under-pressure do's and don'ts. When you find yourself under pressure, here's some do's and don'ts, some way you should and some ways that you should not respond when you're under pressure. So let's jump into our story. We're, we're at the point where the church is experiencing this, this great revival. There's miracles. There's healings that are happening. And here's what happens next. Verse 17, Acts chapter 5. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. If you notice, good things are happening in the church And this brings about a negative emotional response to these religious leaders, which takes us to the first thing I want you to see in under-pressure moments. Here's the first of our do's and don'ts. Number one, don't self-destruct. When you're in a pressure-filled moment or maybe in a pressure-filled season, Be careful that you do not self-destruct because oftentimes what I find is I can get under pressure and then I can do something that instead of making it better can actually make things worse. Can I get an amen? You've been there? You watch your response and what you do is instead of making it better, you make the situation worse. Here's why. Because your emotional state will determine your personal response. Your emotional state, the state of your emotions in that pressure-filled situation will determine the response that you have to that situation. If I'm in a place where I'm aware of my emotions, maybe even in a place where I'm able to control them and kind of work through that, it helps me under pressure. But if I let my emotions get the best of me, if they start to affect my attitude and even more my action, then I can be in a place where I can watch a whole situation just fall apart. Now, I know we, we use this analogy quite often, and, and even just recently we've talked about this, but I think this is a good thing to help us picture where we're at because we're, it's very familiar to us. There's this intersection near where I live that's closed. It's a major intersection, and they're doing some, some work there. They're changing it up, and in the process of this, this means that while that intersection is closed, you cannot go through there unless you want to go to the body shop, right? you just you just shouldn't go through. And what they've done and this is really cool is about 2 or 3 miles before you ever get there, they put up warning signs. There's these signs that say this intersection is is closed. You can't go through there. And about 2 or 3 blocks, the major uh, or 2 or 3 intersections before you get to this other intersection, there's these big signs that say hey, road closed ahead. Don't go through there. Don't go there. And then when you get right up to the intersection, there's a barricade and there's these roadblocks that tell you stop don't go through there. And if you have common sense, you don't drive through there, right? Because you don't want to pay the price for what happens. And I need to learn to watch for the warning signs and roadblocks in my emotional responses to things. Sometimes it happens in a moment. Sometimes it's a buildup. But I know those times when I feel something beginning to happen inside of me and I go, Chad, that's not a good thing. Your response is going in a direction that's probably not the way you want to respond. And if I ignore those warning signs, if I don't pay attention to those roadblocks, I'll find myself cruising right into a situation with the wrong emotional response. Am I the only one who does that? Apparently. But I hope that analogy will help somebody watching online. And um, here's why. Because if I learn to acknowledge the warning signs, the roadblocks, then it'll help to keep me from going into situations and areas in life where I'm going to be sorry if I have that emotional response. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pick on one emotion for just a moment. Because it's the one that begins to do the religious leaders in. It says that they were filled with jealousy. And this is one we've got to watch, especially in seasons of pressure. Because if you're under pressure and you begin to look at other people and you seem to think that somehow they have it better than you have it, it will lead you down a road that you do not want to go down. Here's why. Jealousy erodes our contentment and sabotages our future. When you allow jealousy to kind of sink in, when it makes its way into your heart, it makes you unsatisfied about today and it causes you to second guess your decisions and choices about the future. When you're jealous about someone else's job or spouse or home or their situation, it will take your mind into unhealthy places. Have you ever heard the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? When you look, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but you should see the water bill. Right? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but it smells like fertilizer. Manure. Right? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but you get over there, it's probably artificial turf. And what happens is we give in to jealousy, and we start to make real decisions based on false impressions of the situations that other people are in. Here's, here's what I've watched happen. Jealousy makes smart people do dumb things. Because it causes you to respond based on your emotion in the moment instead of based on the truth that you should be holding on to. Think about it. These are the smartest dudes in Israel. These are the spiritual leaders. And they're at a point where they're about to make a very dangerous decision because jealousy is driving them to it. Jealousy makes smart people dumb things. That's why we have to guard it in our lives. We have to guard it in our church because jealousy blinds our spiritual eyes to keep us from seeing the reality of what's taking place around us. Probably the the clearest example of this in all of scripture is in the book of 1 Samuel. Do you remember the stories about King David? Do you remember King David in scripture? Before he was king, he served a king named King Saul. And David won a major battle, and as he came back, they, they made up a song about him. And they sang, David, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. It was a huge hit with Saul, can't you imagine? First Samuel chapter 18, verse 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more? can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Do you know what he was motivated by? Jealousy. It's what filled his heart, and as you read through the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, what you'll see is from that point on, the spiritual dynamic shifts, and Saul begins to respond in ways that are just unhealthy, abnormal, just irrational, and you can see how God's presence is just gone. His favor is gone from what Saul is doing, and the reality is that it's driven, this failure is driven by jealousy. Here's a question. Does the success of others cause unrest in you? Ask yourself that question. If you see that the success of others causes a state of unrest in you, then maybe it's a good time to take a good look inside because we need to be in a place where we're, where we're walking through our emotions in a healthy way. Number one, don't self destruct. What does this lead to? Let's go back to the text Acts chapter 5, verse 18. The leaders then, watch what they do. They arrested the apostles. Remember, this is driven by their jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Don't miss what is so commonplace in that story. Did you hear what happened? That's a miracle, right? right? They throw them in jail, and then an angel shows up and opens the doors to the jail and leads them out to freedom. Does that happen every day? I mean, this is, this is an incredible thing because they knew that even in the midst of the pressure that the church was facing, that they could put their hope in their heavenly father. Here's the second of our do's and don'ts. Number two, do trust God. Number two, when you are in a pressure-filled moment or a pressure-filled season, do trust God. Let's keep this pretty simple. When you're in a pressure-filled time, you can trust God to come to your rescue. Have you found that to be true? Watch. God can do the miraculous. We see that in this story. And I've seen it in my life. And I hear it from stories that you tell me, that there are times in these moments, and I've watched it in my own life, when in the, in the moment of pressure, if I'll say, God, I entrust this to you, God steps in and does the thing that I did not think I would see happen. God can do the miraculous because God opens closed doors. That's what he did in this story. Look, I can tell you of situations where we thought it was no and it turned out to be yes. I can tell you of times when it seemed like there was no way we were going to get through and God opened the door. He responds. He makes a way. God opens closed doors. God sets people free. Have you found that to be true? That there's things in our lives that it's only by the power of God that we move through those things, that he gives us deliverance and he gives us forgiveness and he helps us in those times. And know this, that God protects his people. God protects his people when there's danger from natural disasters or sickness or accident. I I heard a story this week about a friend of mine who was in a car accident that the story, and I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but here's the deal. He should have been dead, but he is alive because without a doubt, when you look at the details, God miraculously protected him. That's worth saying amen to, isn't it? This is who God is. This is what he does. He does miracles. He opens closed doors. He sets people free. He protects his people. And I say this because I do not want you to forget it. In the midst of your pressure-filled moment, in the midst of that place where you feel like maybe you're stuck and you're locked up and you wonder, how am I going to get out of this place? Know that you serve a God who can and will do the miraculous to get you out of that pressure-filled situation and to help you get on the other side. That's worth an amen, isn't it? But what if he doesn't? Well, what if what if he doesn't? I mean, we believe God will. But what if he doesn't? Because for some of you, you're sitting there and you're scratching your head and you're saying, Well, I've seen God do miracles, but I've also, I've also seen him not. And some of you go, there's a there's a door in my life that I thought would open, but it's still closed. And there's a thing in my life that I thought that I thought I'd be delivered from, and I'm still not set free. And let's just be honest. We can all think of a time or a person or a place where we wanted God's protection or we wanted God's healing or we wanted God's involvement and it didn't show up. So does that mean God's fickle? Or does that mean that God's not real or those promises can't be trusted or somehow this whole thing just works for some that God loves and just might not work for me? Because I believe that God will, but what if he doesn't? Let's let's talk about this for just a moment and let's use the same example like we're talking about God setting people free from prison three times in the book of acts we're going to see this here in acts chapter 5 we're going to see it again in acts chapter 12 where peter is miraculously released from prison and we're going to see it again in acts chapter 16 where silas and paul are miraculously released from prison again and again and again god works this same miracle and he releases his people from prison and every time it leads to god's glory it leads to the church moving forward it leads, it leads to more people learning about him these are powerful miracles because they prayed and god said yes that's awesome Isn't it? And then there's the end of the book of Acts, where for a long season, like for years, you know what Paul does? Sits in prison. Same Paul that got out in Acts chapter 16 is stuck at the end of the book. And for years, multiple places, multiple times. In fact, it ends this way Paul's in prison. What did Paul do wrong? What, what happened in the midst? Why, why did God say yes in one situation and no in another? Just understand this, that in the midst of those times, whether God says yes or whether God says no, you can still trust him. In the three instances in the book of Acts where they're let go out of prison, God does miracles. Do you know what happens while Paul's in prison at the end of the book of Acts? At the end of the book of Acts, Paul writes four books of the Bible that we refer to as the prison epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Do you realize that these essential parts of our theological catalog we would not have if Paul wasn't stuck in prison? Many theologians believe that while Paul was in prison in Caesarea, it gave Luke, who was his associate who traveled with him, the opportunity to be in that part of the world and do interviews and do research so he was then able to write the gospel of Luke and part of the book of Acts. If he had not had that time where Paul was in prison, if we had not had that time where Paul was in prison, there would be major parts of our New Testament that would be missing. Do you see how even in the midst of what didn't seem like a miracle, God was working a miracle that Paul never saw but we benefit from? Does that make sense? So when God says yes, you trust him. And when God says no, you still trust him. Because you might not know what he's doing, but he's at work in the midst of that, and he's still worthy of our trust. Here's the attitude I challenge you to have. Do you, do you remember the story, book of Daniel, chapter three, three guys that were Daniel's friends? Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and, anybody remember? And they're And they're, they're Israelites, but they're in Babylon, they're leaders, and the king says to them, to all the people, I want you to bow down to this giant statue of me. He sets up this idol of himself. And these three guys say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing that. King, we'll we'll serve you. We'll follow your laws, but that's idolatry. We're we're not going to do that. And they say, look, boys, either you do it or you find yourself in a fiery furnace that's so hot that even the guards who throw them in die because of exposure to that heat. It's a yes or no, boys. You're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And here's their response. Watch this. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. That's trust in God, isn't it? But even if he does not, Even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. See what they said here? We trust our God to do the miraculous. But even if he doesn't, we still trust him because he's still God. God can be trusted under pressure even when we don't understand. And some of you need to Grab hold of that today, because you've been praying for, looking for, asking for a miracle, and you've not seen that transpire in your life yet. And know this, that even if you haven't seen it, God can be trusted, and it may just be that he's doing something that you might not see. You may never see it in this life, but someday you'll recognize how great and how perfect his plan was. Does that make sense? Let's go back to our story. Acts chapter 5, verse 20. The angel, remember, has pulled them out of prison, and he says this. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. In the daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Here's number three of our do's and don'ts. Number three, do the right thing. Number three, do the right thing. Look, we talked about this about a month ago. We, 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 uh, we looked at another passage in Acts chapter 4. If you remember, we, we talked about when is it right to do what is wrong. When is it right to do what's right in God's eyes, when it, even if mankind or humans think that it is wrong. And, and you can go back and watch that online. We won't spend a lot of time on this idea. I just want you to know this, that the right thing to do is not always the easy thing to do. I mean, think about this. If, if you had just gotten out of prison, and you were in prison because of what you had been doing... Do you go back and do what you were just doing? Common sense says, no way. I'm not doing that. These apostles get out of prison, and the angel says to them, why don't you go back and do what got you in prison in the first place? That's not common sense. Common sense says, you know what? I think I'm actually going to get out of town. I don't think I'm going to do that. And the angel says, no. I let you out so you could go do what you were doing that got you in there in the first place. It doesn't make sense but it was the right thing for them to do. The right thing is not always the easy thing, but understand that if that's where God has put you, then that's the thing that you need to do. What's interesting is God delivered them from persecution so that he could deliver them for proclamation. He got them out of jail so they could do what he created them to do. Now understand this, if you are delivered from something, then you are delivered for something. Let that sink in for a minute. If you are delivered from something, if God has done something in your life, that's not just for you to hold on to that thing and put it on your spiritual mantle and show your friends, look what God did it's for you to take what he did and then do something with it. If he's delivered you from something, if he's done a work in your life, then he's delivered you for something that he wants to do in you. Make sure that you don't miss that when God gives you opportunity to serve him, to live for him, to work for him. I think this is especially relevant because of the last few weeks that we've had We walked through our mission summit. We we had our missionary friends a couple weeks ago who were up here in the panel. And then Pastor Bill brought us a great word last week on what missions is all about. And for some of us, there was something that stirred in our hearts during that time. It was moving in us about what God wants us to do. And realize this, that if God is stirring in you, do the right thing. If he's giving you opportunity, don't dismiss that. Opportunity without activity is a tragedy. If God has opened up that door of, act, of opportunity for you and you're not active in it, if you don't move forward with it, if you don't take those steps, that opportunity without activity leads to a tragedy. In fact, James says, in, in James chapter four, verse 17, that the person who knows what they're supposed to do, if they do not do it to that person, it's sin. Here's, here's some do's and don'ts. Don't self-destruct. Do trust God. Do the right thing. And then let's go back to our story. Instead of taking the time to kind of read all of this because we're under a little time pressure. <laughs> um, this is the word "pressures." funny. Um, what we're going to do is we're, let me just recap it for you real quick. Here's what happens. So the Sanhedrin shows up the next morning. And they're kind of big and bold. And they say, bring those heretics in here. And so they go to get them out of jail. And they're not there. And, like, nobody knows that they're not there. Like, the guards are still standing there. And then, like, they were in there. It's been, but they're not here anymore. And they start kind of freaking out. Like, where'd they go? What happened? How did this happen? And somebody comes in to the Sanhedrin and says, hey, you know those dudes you threw in jail? They're back out in the temple courts doing the same thing again. They're doing the same thing again. And so they send the, the authorities to go out and to arrest them. They don't do it forcefully. They're not real big about it. Because the people love the apostles. They see what's happening, right? And so they don't want to make a big deal out of this, and so they quietly bring them back in. They stand in front of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin says to them, we told you to stop doing this. Why are you doing this? Listen to what Peter says, Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Look, we're going to do the right thing we're going to do the thing that's right to do. And then Peter preaches this little sermon to them, and he talks to them, and listen to how they respond to the sermon he preaches. Acts chapter 5 verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. If one of my sermons ever affects you that way, just send an email. Is that cool? Can we just can we just do that? That would be a nice way to resolve that. Do you see what happens here? The Spirit speaks through Peter, and watch how they respond. When the Spirit speaks to us, oftentimes we call that conviction. And conviction kind of stirs in us. And you can respond one of two ways. Conviction will either soften or harden your heart. And and you make the determination on how that happens. In fact, even even for some of you now, you know God's speaking to your heart about the pressure that you're under on your job, in your school, in your home, in your life, in your future. God's speaking to you. You got one of two choices. You either open up to it or you close up to it. You either harden your heart or you soften it. And how are you going to respond to what the Spirit's speaking? And and know this, and I think this is painful. The most righteous can also be the most stubborn. Who, Who are the most righteous people in Israel here? the leaders, the authorities, and yet they're the most stubborn in this moment. I find that oftentimes when I'm the most self-righteous about something, that's when I'm the most stubborn about it. See, oftentimes we confuse our biblical convictions, and our biblical convictions should never change. Those things that we hold on to about Scripture, they should never waver. But oftentimes I can be in a place where I confuse my biblical convictions for my personal opinion And then I shut down hearing anybody else's voice. Does that make sense? And that's what they did here. And so watch what happens next. Verse 34, you've got a tense moment. The Sanhedrin's fired up. They've been made fools out of because of the escape from jail. Now the apostles are in front of them. They call them out. The apostles blast back. They're so mad that they wanna kill them. Watch what happens next, verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Aren't you glad when cooler heads prevail? Like Gamaliel watched this whole situation and he saw this was a this was a powder keg, and he said, How, "Hey, time out, kids. How about we do this? Let's let's take these heretics. Let's just have them step outside the room for a minute so we can kind of just." Just catch our breath, let's slow down for a minute. Here's number four of the do's and don'ts. Are you ready? Number four, do push the pause button. There are times when you're in a pressure-filled situation when the right thing for you to do is just push the pause button for a minute. The, The nation of Saudi Arabia just recently commissioned, the government just commissioned that a new textbook be written for the schools about the history of their nation. And so this is a pretty big project and they were pretty proud of the whole thing. And one of the the key pictures that they wanted in the book was a picture of their king back in 1945 signing the UN resolution that kind of moved the nation forward. So they got the picture and they put it in the book. We'll show it to you. That's the picture. And if you, you zoom in a little closer, you'll notice that the picture wasn't quite right. Because next to the king is the Jedi Master Yoda. Did anybody see this story? Like there's this this Arab artist who took a bunch of famous pictures and then superimposed or kind of Photoshopped movie characters, Star Wars characters into them. This was kind of the statement he was trying to make. For the record, Yoda wasn't really there. And they just inadvertently stuck that version of the picture into the textbook, (laughs) distributed the textbook. And then it was caught. They had to recall the textbooks. They're having to reprint the textbooks because somebody pushed through that. A second edit would have been good, wouldn't it have? If they had just paused for a moment, the force would have been with them. But instead, (laughs) look at what they ended up with. Sometimes it's wise just to slow things down for a moment. Wise people press pause. In a pressure-filled moment, In a pressure-filled season, when emotions are high, and you're looking inward instead of upward, push the pause button for a moment. Get, Get control of your emotions and look and listen to God. Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, be still and know that I'm God. Just slow down for just a minute. Stop long enough to catch your breath. Just push that pause button. See, wise people find ways to release pressure. Gamaliel did that. He saw the pressure the moment. He knew there was something that needed to be done. Let's slow this thing down for just a moment. Let let everybody kind of catch our breath and then watch what he says next. Verse 35. Then Gamaliel addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago Thutis, appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. It's a good minute. Let's talk about the history for this in just a moment. This is back in the season of time when the nation of Israel was being ruled by the Roman Empire. And so every so often, you would have these people who would come up. They may have even claimed to be the Messiah. And they would bring a a political or a military movement, and they would start a revolt. And they would say, we are going to liberate us. We are going to move us forward. And they said, this guy Thutis did this, and he collected all these people around him. But it all fell apart, and he died. And then the the whole thing just kind of came to nothing. It happened again. Look at this. He says, after him... Fighting against God. Isn't that an interesting phrase there? Look, if this is just some kind of fad, just let it happen. It'll fizzle out. But if this is from God, then you're not going to be able to stop it. Do, or, do and don't number five. Don't fight against God. If God's leading, if he's moving, if he's working, if he's trying to do something in this pressure cooker that you're living in, then don't fight against God. And you might say to yourself, that's a good word, Chad. I'm glad I don't fight against God. And the truth is, how many times does the Holy Spirit have to remind me, Chad, that might not be the direction that I want you to go in. I think oftentimes, more often than not, we're fighting God when we don't like what he's doing or when we won't follow where God is leading. See, just take the example of these religious leaders in that day. We fight against God when we force our agenda instead of following God's plan. When we try to force our agenda, when we try to push forward what we want to see, what we want to do, and instead of following God's plan, we try to do our thing, we are fighting against God. When I was younger and kind of, a, kind of a punk, I used to, like if I was in a mall or in an airport or something like that, I used to try to go up the down escalator. Anybody done that? You think, oh, this would be fun, this would be cool. It's like fighting a losing battle. Like you you can be fast and you can work and you might get there, but it's a lot of effort and it's tough and you look really dumb when you're doing it. And how many times we do that in a spiritual sense? God says down and you say up and as a result, you're fighting against God. Some of you, God's stirring in your heart about a relationship that needs to be mended, about a decision that needs to be made. Don't force your agenda when God is calling you to follow his plan. And see, we fight against God when we try to use God's blessings for our own purposes. What was the whole problem here? These religious leaders were afraid that they were going to lose the power that they had. And they were holding on so tightly to what God had given them that they were afraid to follow what God was actually Doing. How often does God want us to let go and give to Him our money, our time, our influence, our ability, because He's given us those things in the first place, and yet we fail to trust Him and we fight against God? See, we fight against God when we act impulsively instead of waiting patiently. When we say, God, I've got this, I'll take care of this situation. Why don't you go help somebody else weaker and more needy at Calvary? And I'll take care of this. You may never say it, but I guarantee you, you've thought of it. And when I act impulsively, instead of waiting patiently, I'm actually fighting against God. Which leads us to the last part of our story, Acts chapter 5, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. And they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Just for the record, that's a severe physical punishment. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That blows my mind. Read that phrase again. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see what they did here? Even in the midst of that that pressure-filled environment, they decided to make a choice And said, look, we're not going to stop, even in the midst of this suffering, even in the midst of persecution. We are not going to give up. We are going to move on through this pressure. And that takes me to number six, the last thing today. Don't give up. Do it again. The thing that God has called you to do, the situation that you're in, whether it's your role on your job or the season you're in in your education, whether it's your spot as a parent or a grandparent, or whether it's the opportunity that's ahead of you in the thing that you're facing right now, let me encourage you, do not give up the right thing, the trust in God thing. Do it again. Don't self-destruct. Don't fight against God. Don't give up. Do it Again, Here's why. Because God's people under pressure respond in faith again and again. And I want you to persevere. And I don't want you to stop. I want you to know that God is with you. Don't give up. We, we had this privilege back in August to travel to Anaheim, California. The big conference was out there for the group of churches that we're a part of, the General Council of the Assemblies of God. And so our family went out, and we were able to spend a couple of days um, kind of vacation while we were out there. And so we took our family into the, the desert of Southern California. It was a place that our family had never been. And if you've not been there, I mean, it's just, it's, it's it's beautiful in such a different way from what we know in Northwest Ohio. You've got mountains, you've got desert. That sounds different, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, it's a whole different place. And our kids were, were fascinated by it, you know, in the mountains and all this. And so we're out there and they're like, man, we'd like, to, we'd like to go hiking one of these mountains. We'd like to go up one of these mountains. And we talked about it. Now, just one piece of advice. If you've not been there and you're planning a trip, don't go in August to the desert. Okay? It just shows how smart people do dumb things. And so we, we went in August to the desert. And so we're like, hey, we'd like to climb one of these mountains, hike one of these mountains, but it just doesn't seem smart. And I'm reading, you know, all the different stuff online about where to hike, what to do. And they say, don't do it in August or you'll never do it again. You know, it's all this kind of thing. But we do it anyways because we're Gilligan's, yes. right? So we made sure we got a bunch of water. We left early in the morning before the heat really set in, and we kind of went to this spot. We knew we weren't going to hike the whole thing. We were just going to do part of it because it was more than we wanted to do or, or you know, more than was wise with the temperature and that kind of stuff. And, and so we start going, and, and we get moving, and we get up to a certain spot, and I'm watching because the heat's setting in. I'm starting to get a little tired, and I'm like, well, guys, we good? You want to... You want to keep going? They're like, yeah, right, we'll, we'll keep going. And so we, we knew we'd round this bend because you're kind of, you know, circling back and, and moving around as you're, as you're going up the mountain. So we get to this one spot, and I I can only try to paint a picture of you for you. You know, you, you round the corner and you look, and you can watch the trail as it goes all the way over here, and it kind of winds back up and around, and it reached this crest, and then it kind of rounds the corner again. It was gorgeous. I was like, well, that's cool. And everybody was like, well, it'd be cool if we could at least you know, get up there. And it's like that. That's awesome. It doesn't seem like it's that far. Have you ever said that? doesn't seem like it's that far. We got moving. It was far. And with every step, it seemed to get hotter. And I'm watching the people in my family, and some of them are starting to kind of sweat and crumble a little bit. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, actually, I'm kind of a wimp at heart. I'm, I'm, oh, God, this is beautiful. I could kind of stop right now. Our son, Evan, had this kind of drive in him. He saw that crest, and he was going there. And I watched him at one point. And he kind of looked back at us, and the rest of us were kind of just kind of sweating and wimpy and kind of having a hard time moving on. And you could just tell we were thinking, this is good, we could go back and eat breakfast now. Like, that's what's going through our head. And Evan turned around and looked at us, and I know he thought to himself, Lord, I pray I'm adopted. <laughs> right? Because he just kind of turned, and he set his face to that crest, and he did not stop. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to give in, but I didn't because I wasn't going to be outdone by a 16-year-old. Are you kidding me? I kept up with that kid. And we kind of kept moving and we encouraged each other along. And we got up to the top of this thing. And when you crested around and you got to the other side of this thing, that's where the panorama of the whole area just opened up in front of us. And I got to tell you, our best pictures were right there. My best memories were right there. And I was so glad when I rounded that corner that I had somebody who was pushing me on, who was telling me, don't give up, who was modeling for me, you need to persevere. And some of you, God, God has you listening to this today because he wants you to hear that because you need somebody to say to you, don't give up. You can do this. You can make it. You can be faithful. You can hold on. Don't let this thing cause you to self-destruct. Don't let this pressure get the best of you. Don't you fight against God. Instead you trust Him and you watch Him because you can do this. And do you know why you can do this? You can be faithful and you can get through this season of pressure because you serve a God who was faithful and got you through the last one. Do you know what I'm talking about? And if God was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the future. We trust in a God who will do it again. And in that pressure-filled moment or in your pressure-filled season, as you look to him, the God who was faithful in the past is going to be faithful today. He's going to be faithful tomorrow. And you can trust him and know that he's with you, that he will show up. So don't you dare give up. You persevere and you trust Him, even in this moment of pressure. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would, please. Whether you're in here, or you're in Auditorium 2, or you're watching on a screen somewhere. And we're going to sing that song that Pastor John introduced to us just a few moments ago. It's a song that says, God, I've I've seen you move in the past, and I believe you're going to do it again. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you are in that pressure-filled moment, and you needed to hear the Holy Spirit say to you today, persevere, don't give up, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Would you just be open to Him right now? Would you just say, God, with faithfulness, I look to you. God, with confidence, I put my trust in you. Lord, I know you were faithful in the past. And God, I look to you, be faithful again. Lord, would you help me in this moment? Would you lead me in this moment? God, I look to you that you will do it again.
1: still stands, great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands, this is my cause. I still, still.
0: Father, even under pressure, you are a God who never fails. So we hold to your promise. We make you our confidence. Lord, as we look to you, not fighting against you, not self-destructing in the midst of those situations, we trust in you. Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength? Lord, Lord, for the one who walked in here today weary and uncertain, Would you help them to remember not to give up because you're a God who's going to do it again. So Lord, we trust you. We look to you. As we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.